Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying. God bless you. You may take a seat. And would you welcome my good friend Doug Frederick to the pulpit. Bless you. Good morning. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm going to ask that you would stand again, everyone, and uh, for the reading of God's Word. And I've asked, I've asked Avery and Peter if they would read the text that we're going to look at this morning. And uh, if you just think this, think Matthew 20, 20, 1 Peter 5, 5. That was cool. Was that you, Jesus? Chick-fil-A. No, that's not it at all. Avery, thank you. You're reading from Matthew 20, starting at verse 20. Yeah. Okay. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, We are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left, for my Father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different." Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Reading from uh, the first letter of St. Peter. So extra. Uh, Five. Okay, here we go. In the same way, you young men must accept the authority of elders, and all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and God give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that you you Christian brothers and sisters all over around the world are going through the same kind of suffering. This is the reading of the Lord's Word. You may be seated, everyone. Thank you, Avery and Peter. Uh, Thank you, uh, Gavin and Kim, my pastors on campus, your pastors on campus, for the opportunity to speak today. And... um, uh, this morning, I, I want to I just address something. I know that we're talking about promises. I know that you receive something when you come in, very Mark-esque from last week, so you should have, by the end of today, puzzle pieces on your desk and, and something else. But what I want to talk about today is uh, a, a, bit, a bit serious in my heart because I've been thinking about this for a long time. This scripture, Matthew 20, 20, 20, 20 vision, and 1 Peter 5, 5, has kind of been on my heart for probably three or four months, and it's just been germinating in my own devotional time. And what I want to talk about and address is, is, is the topic of humility. Because we don't want to talk about it sometimes because we feel like if we talk about it, then we're saying that we're humble. I just want to say this. I know that I'm not humble. Humility is something that is, it's something that you, you have to deal with every day of your life. It's something that is rehearsed and rehearsed in your heart and your mind to, to, to what kind of leader you want to be. 
And, uh, but I think the, the topic of humility actually carries with it a promise that we see in 1 Peter 5, 5 and also in the book of James. You know, um, I love working here. This is more than a job for me. And yes, I do enjoy the, the paycheck that I get. Thank you very much, Board of Governors and, and uh, Dr. Demchuk for, for remuneration. But I love the benefits all the more. Do you know what the benefits are for me? This, this, the, the greatest benefit is seeing you guys leave this place and do something absolutely radical in the world and for the kingdom with your lives. But here's the thing about doing something radical in this world and in the kingdom. It takes a posture that is different from the, what the world says is leadership. It takes a posture that Jesus says, do you really want to be great? Do you really want to do something in this world? Then it's different than those who lord it over or think that they're arrogant or proud. It takes some humility. You know, I, I have to say this. It's, it's kind of weird, and I don't want to really talk about it, so maybe I'm putting this to an end, but I, I've kind of missed a lot of chapels on Monday because from the beginning of September, every Monday, I have to drive to a wound clinic in Langley and get my wound of my hand checked out. And, and some of you don't know this, but on September 12th, I cut my hand. It's called the deep space, and my hand swelled up probably the size of my head or my thorax, just absolutely massive. Massive, and uh, it was very, very infected. And I asked the lady, I said, her name's Kathy, building like this, I'm going to invite her to church, and I think she's going to come at Christmas time. But I said, why is it taking so long? It's almost two months. And she said, Doug, because, well, just to be honest with you, your hand was rotten from the inside. And it just takes time to get these things out. And such a, a great spiritual metaphor for me. I was like, oh, rotten. Like, that's like me. Like Psalm 119, verse 8. Please, Jesus, don't give up on me. That's my theme verse. But it's kind of the way that they've been addressing it is, you know, because I would say just let it scab up and I'll pick it off and let it scab up and I'll pick it off again, you know, um, the way that we usually do it. But what they say is, is you have to keep moisture on the wound because it'll heal quicker. And so there's things in our lives that our heart can get crusty and salty and full of chlorine, but it's things like understanding what humility is that will actually help our life and propel us to greater ministry when we understand the moisture of what humility really means. This, uh, this passage of scripture, this story, uh, is funny for me. Do you ever read scripture and you're just like, you kind of chuckle in your heart, it's like, this is so, this is so goofy, you know, it's just so funny. This story for me in Matthew 20, 20 is like a Saturday night live skit. You know, it's almost like, you know, this mother comes to Jesus and she's got her, her grown butt sons standing right beside her right here. And she's like, Jesus, could my son sit at your left and your right? And it's almost like the Saturday night skit because both of them are in unison probably say, we are worthy. You know, it's like this funny moment in the space of Jesus, these, these grown guys and their mother, heli- talk about helicopter mothers. Maybe some of you have that issue in this room. It has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Don't blame your mom or your dad. But it's, just, it's a goofy story. And sometimes it seems sensible to us to advance our cause, our thing. It seems sensible sometimes for us to advance our own life. Because I think it's true. We, we do know that we have been made for something great. That, there's no doubt about that. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis, God, it's, it's not sin. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. He wants to bless our lives. He, he fills us with his spirit. But somehow we get 
this weird and odd sense in our lives, and I think it's confusion, that we, we, we get it misplaced, that we think it's our right to be above people or to be glorified more than others or better than others. It's, it's shown from our Instagram accounts and the way that we treat people and how we talk to people and how we respond to people and how we respond to the poor and the marginalized. And somehow we get this confusion in our minds that we are much greater than who we actually are. And I think this is what Jesus gets at. He says, you're confused. It drives us sometimes this confusion of glory into a place of arrogance in our lives. A friend of mine, Mike Miller, who is a pastor of Nova Church in Nova Scotia, says to me that one of the greatest things that he is disgusted by is young men and women who have this idea about the green room hype that they're something more than they are. They believe they're hype, and he says it's destructive. I think this is an issue in our churches, in our cities, in the POC, in our nation, that we believe in our hype sometimes, that we're something greater and better than what we really are. We're advancing our glory to a place where we shouldn't be there. We believe this green room hype in our lives. And Jesus says this. He says, you, you want to know the right posture is for greatness? What's the right posture in your heart for graceness? He says, be a servant. Walk in humility. Place your heart in a position that is correct. I was looking through in these last couple months. I have like this bookshelf at home where a lot of my books are. And just some of the best leadership books that I've ever read. And out of the top 10 books on humility, I only found one that actually had a a chapter on it. Maybe I need to get some more books. But Crawford Lawrence in a book called Leadership as an Identity, everyone should have this book in their hand. This is killer to your heart. This will slay you. This is what he says uh, to, to define what humility is. I've been privileged to know some very influential Christian leaders who've been effective over time. One thing that impresses me about some of them is how little they talk about their leadership or the fact that they are leaders. They all know that they have been given a great gift to lead, but they're defined by the privilege and opportunity to serve. Humility is the intentional recognition that God is everything to you and that you are nothing without him. It is the acknowledgement that life is not about you and that the needs of others are more important than even your own. The humble person knows that humility is a decision, James 4 and 1 Peter 5. As an act of the will, he must intentionally anchor your choices and decisions to God and go about his business in such a way that exalts and honors him. A humble person is concerned about what God is concerned about. A humble person is more God-conscious and other-conscious than self-conscious. And at the end of the day, the humble person wants to know what all he's done that day was done with the spotlight on the Savior. Humility is also an attitude. It's a way of thinking that touches your approach to everything that you do, and especially the people you come in contact with. Humility is the attitude and disposition that considers meeting the needs of others a joy and a deep privilege. Peter read from the, ver- the book of 1 Peter, and let's just, if you have your Bible, just turn there to 1 Peter, because it addresses some of these things and highlights them that is also spoken in the book of James. 
In verse 5, it says this. It says that we are to clothe ourselves with humility. What does that mean, clothe ourselves? It has this reference to actually a, a tunic, like a, a working tunic. It's, it's not changing your clothes. It's actually putting something over above what you already have, a work tunic, that it takes work. And I, I believe this humility in our hearts takes a lot of work. It takes work to walk in a humble attitude. It takes a, a daily remembrance in our mind to, to be that. And here's the thing about walking in humility. There's actually a promise that goes with the person that can walk in humility. The promise is that it says that God will give grace to the humble. That the promise that comes along with humility is that you will be lifted up. He will lift you up. We know the context of 1 Peter is great persecution upon the church. We know that Nero wanted to burn Christians and burn them on the lawn and kill them. And, and the Apostle Paul and Peter saying, don't, don't give up. Peter's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't. There's going to be a resurrection one day. You're going to be lifted up. But I believe this, and maybe some of the prophets here, they can straighten me out afterwards. I think there's a secondary purpose to this. I think that actually when we live lives of humility in a conscious state, that God, you are number one, that everything I have is because of you. And when I walk into the room, I don't go, how great am I? And look at me. It's like, man, am I blessed to be in the room with these people? That's what a, hu- a humble heart means. And I think, and I believe this with my whole heart, that that kind of attitude, if you walk with that in your life and believe that in your heart, that God will actually lift up your life and use something of you great because you are a servant and you've denied arrogance in your life. If you keep reading in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourself and he's going to lift you up. This broader spiritual principle, I've seen this in many people's lives. A friend of mine, his name is Jason Roberts who's the director of Wagner Hills Farms. Jason was a cocaine addict for 10 years. And, I mean, you think about in the Lord Mainland where a cocaine addict goes and what he does and what he steals and how he uses and how he abuses people. And he was downtown east side, and he was totally addicted to cocaine for 10 years of his life. His grandpa attended Broadway Church and just a God-fearing, honoring man praying for his grandson every single day. God, get a hold of Jason's life. Ten years of use, Jason finally surrendered his life to Christ. And Jason's become a friend of mine since I've moved here five years ago. We meet probably every three, three weeks in Fort Langley. We have coffee together. And here's a guy that I believe that his heart attitude is, I'm just going to walk humbly. God, I recognize, Doug, who gave me all this? It's God. It's not me. Yes, I'm, I have giftings. Yes, I have abilities. He's right now in a building program, over $20 million he's raising. He's got gifts in his mind, and he's got abilities. And I believe it's because of the humility of his heart that God has raised him up. There's a promise that comes as we see with this idea of humility. And there's others that have been part of my life and part of your life. Isn't it attractive when you see people that, that don't talk about themselves or don't Instagram themselves all the time? As they, just, they just live their lives. They don't have to like clang the symbol and say, look at me. They just do it. They just do it. Think of my mentor, Fred Fulford. He just does it. He serves. Think of our, some of our faculty here. They just serve. Boy, was I intimidated when I came here four years ago sitting in a room and I was like, okay, I'm just starting a master's degree and there's like, hello, doctor, 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 wrote a commentary, wrote a book, getting his MBA. 
oh, oh, Jace, that guy is really smart. I'm so intimidated. But these people are humble. I think God lifts us up. He lifts us up when we walk with an attitude in our heart that's just, God, I know it's you. I want you to do something in my life. I, I think of these people. I think of the people at CLA that I work with. And is it not attractive when you're around someone that doesn't always talk about themselves but asks you questions and loves you and serves you? That's what Jesus is asking of us. That's what Jesus is asking of you, students and faculty and Doug Frederick, to walk with a sense of humility in our service and in our love and in where we do and what we, where we go and how we respond to people. There's something here that really catches me all the time. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This word devour in First Peter I want you to catch this. It literally means drink you down. I want to drink you down. I, I want you finished. If you read in the scripture a lot, the other places where Satan is coming after you and rejoicing, drinking you down, is around scriptures of arrogance and non-humility. Because I see the Jason Roberts and follow the Fred Fulfords, but I also have friends who have walked in arrogance when they should have walked in humility. Stephen Arterburn says that one in five people make it to a place of age in ministry because they're taken out, and what takes us out is arrogance and pride. And even right now, with your age, you need to take your arrogance and pride out before it takes you out of the game. Just want to encourage you this this beautiful Monday afternoon. If we go to back, back to Matthew 20, I just need to say this. We're not talking about some kind of false humility here. We're not I'm not talking about groveling. I'm not talking about being self-denigrating. I'm not talking about ignoring your gifts. I'm not talking about ignoring your personality. If you're in this room and you know your gifts, you know you're, you're a, you have a prophetic edge or you know that you're an encourager or you know that you use the spiritual gifts, that's not what we're talking about. See, what Jesus does here in Matthew chapter 20 is he pulls us into a different invitation. What I like and what I see here in Matthew 20 is that Jesus takes them at their better, not their worst, right? You see that? He takes them at their better. He doesn't like, he doesn't slap them around. He doesn't rebuke them. He takes them at their better, not their worst. And he takes our arrogant, confused ideas. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to pull those ideas and thoughts into using them for the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus do? He says, great. You want to be great? Do you really want to be amazing as a leader? Do you want to, do you want to be a great counselor? Do you want to be a great not-for-profit? Do you want to be the greatest pastor, the youth pastor, young adult pastor? Do you want to be the greatest missionary that there is? Then what you need to do is you need to be servant of all. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. That's what Jesus is calling us, summit to be, to live daily in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in how we act and how we treat people. You want to be great, Jesus says? Then you need to drink the cup of the servant. I think humility is subtle work. I think it's found in the quiet place. I think it's found in good community. 
I know twice a year I have two other gentlemen that we meet in Cologne and we sit around for 24 hours and ask us the hard questions. Are you walking in humility? How are you treating your wives? How are you treating your staff? How are you treating the people that you work with? Are you loving people? Are you looking at people who are marginalized with disdain because then there's something wrong with your heart? It takes subtle work. It takes community. It takes a sustained decision in our heart to be walk in in humbleness, not to be served, but to serve. I love the way that this chapter closes. We think it ends right here in verse 28, but it doesn't end there. It ends with a story that Jesus tells about two blind men. Let me read this, starting in verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they had heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Don't you love that? (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight, and they followed him. Here's the greatness of this story. You have two apostles. Two apostles made for glory. We're with Jesus, man. I'm interning at CLA, Maple Ridge. I'm made for glory. I work at APA, man. I carry the banners on the road. I work at Broadway Church, dude. Two apostles. They walked with Jesus. And they heard him teach, and they saw him heal. And they had great opportunity to see, but they were actually blind. Then you have a story of two who are blind, who could actually see. In simplicity, in need, in brokenness, in helplessness. Heal us, Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. We're seeking only what you can give us, Jesus. We're seeking sight. So let me ask you the question. What set of narratives... Are you part of? What's your narrative? The two apostles or the two who could actually see? What's your narrative? What's your heart? What's your motive? What's your stand? How do you act? How do you treat people? How do you respond to people? How do you speak to people? How do you care people? What narrative are you in? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. You were given a a piece of cloth when you came in the room in chapel this morning. And this is going to serve this morning as a symbol of something that, yes, it's Old Testament, but I think it serves as a reminder to our lives. I loved 
what Mark said last Monday. I love those puzzle pieces that I don't see the top of the box. I have to remember there's something greater. There's something that I can't see. Thank you for that, Mark. The cloth was an Old Testament symbol of they would rend the cloth. They would rend their clothing in repentance. They would take their cloth and say, God, I, I have need. I, I need you to work in my life. I, need, I want all that you have for me. It was like this, this symbol. And this is just a symbol. But maybe this morning we have a little bit of time. Maybe you want to find a place at the altar. Maybe you just want to sit where you're seating. Maybe you just want to kneel someplace else and just think, what narrative am I? And I just want to be on the narrative that Jesus lifts up and blesses and touches and helps. And how do we do that? It's by a narrative in our heart that says, I just want to serve. I just want humility. I don't want arrogance in my life. I want mercy, Jesus, mercy, 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 mercy. You know what Canada does not need? Canada does not need arrogant, proud pastors in our churches or in our missions or in our counseling groups. What Canada needs is students who are just hungry for the presence of God and the attitudes that go with it. So in these next few moments, maybe five minutes, we're just going to pads and play and find a piece. And this is what you can do. Just have confession. You can either like tear it slowly or you can actually rend it. God, I just rend my heart. I, I want you. I need you. I, you understand where we're going, what direction I'm giving you here? Let's just take some time and just evaluate your heart, your mind your spirit we're going to sing a song of worship together and then we will be done right at 12 o'clock let's just take some time
Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. The great ones exercising authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.